thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be reasonable. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Sits and sivs, captains and commanders, you've tuned to the guard frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 123 of the Best Damn Space Sim Podcast Ever, and it was recorded on Friday, June 3rd, and made available for download Tuesday, June 7th, over at guardfrequency.com. I'm Tony. I'm Lennon. And I'm Jeff. So, what have we got this week, Jeff? Well, in this week's Squawk Box, we take a look at a rather bad week in U.S. aviation. And on the flight deck, we see what news has landed from your favorite space sims as we cover... Star Citizen's latest PTU patch and the Buccaneer Q&A, how the devs took away the weapons of mass destruction the NPCs somehow got a hold of in Elite Dangerous, and our first impressions of Everspace Alpha. Next, we debate crime and punishment, and finally we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Well, that takes care of all the housekeeping, so let's get on to the show and see what's coming through the school box. Do you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. Crypto, crypto, crypto. This is Tony saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. As we said at the top of the show, it has not been a good week for U.S. aviation. First, on June 2nd, the Air Force lost one of their F-16 Thunderbird demonstration craft minutes after performing for the President and the graduating class of the U.S. Air Force Academy. Fortunately, the pilot ejected in time. But almost exactly an hour after that crash, the Navy lost one of their F-A-18 Blue Angel demonstrators. The pilot, Marine Corps Captain Jeff Cuss, was killed on impact. Both teams are flying aging fighters, with both the Viper and the Hornet entering service in the late 1970s. While the Thunderbirds are flying relatively modern Block 52 F-16s, the Blues are using older C-model F-A-18s. With both branches scrambling to keep squadrons airworthy, let alone combat-worthy, these accidents are a stark reminder of how dangerous it is to strap on a 20-ton kerosene can and dare the Almighty to enforce the law of gravity. Also this week, it was announced that the KC-46, the replacement for the vintage KC-135 tanker in the air since the 50s, would be delayed. The cause? Well, seems that it can't refuel other planes. Specifically, the big ones. While tests of its refueling boom were successful with small fighters like the F-16, unforeseen axial loads were observed while tanking C-17 Globemasters. But hey, you know, while the deployment of the first 18 tankers will now be delayed into early 2018, at least the taxpayer isn't on the hook for the redesigns. Good thing, too, because Boeing, who builds the 767-based Pegasus, is looking at a $1.3 billion late fee so far. Meanwhile, the plane that the KC-46 beat out to be America's next tanker, yeah, that one, the Airbus-derived KC-30, it's already forward-deployed with the Royal Australian Air Force. Oops. And we've gone from tragedy to business as usual, which of course means that we must end with comedy the F-35. Once again, despite a commitment to appear made earlier this year, the F-35A will be a no-show at the prestigious Farnborough Air Show. It's trying to make it to the Royal International Air Tattoo next month, but it might be washing its hair or alphabetizing its sock drawer. But don't worry, the duck-melting, concrete-scorching F-35B will be there. So we got that going for us. What a week. Not a good week. No. Not a good week. But your trusty Scorpion will be there, right? The trusty Scorpion is going to make it to the Farnborough Air Show, and it's going to be the production model. 
This is going to be the finalized version after they've done all the prototype testing and all that kind of thing. They've made the internal cargo bay a little bigger, and they've integrated the speed brake, and they've made the nose bigger so it can carry a fire control radar for air-to-air intercept. I mean, this little thing, I love that little plane. I just do. But nobody's bought it yet, so it's not official. It's just a dream. The little, the little plane that could. It's like in pre-alpha or something like that. It, it, it is. Well, it, it's you know, it's made it through pre-alpha. Oh, it's beta now. It, we're into beta. That's right. The production model is, is just about done, and it should be ready to fly across the pond to the Farnborough show. It, it's Farnborough. 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 Didn't you report that it got its military designation, though? No, that's what it's looking for. Once the production model is airborne, it's going to get certified by the Air Force. It's a unique and different process that hasn't been done before, so people are looking at it kind of sideways until it's actually done. So that's the holdup. they got to get the production model finished, production model into the air, the production model certified. And once that's done, the hope is that people will take a look at it as a serious airplane and, and put some money down to buy it. So the KC-46 is the new tanker from... Yeah. Uh, who who makes the KC-46? Boeing! Boeing. My local Boeing. hometown yeah. aircraft maker. That's right. It's assembled in Washington. Ah, okay. Well, that's yeah. right in your backyard. So in that case, Jeff, you should be able to answer these pressing questions. Okay. That I, no, I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just like, sure, surely if you're making a replacement tanker, doesn't that give you like a blueprint to build from, though? Well, it's a new plane, though. I mean, the, the KC-35 is based on the Boeing 707. And you know how long the Boeing 707 has been in production? <laughs> well, they're not they, making those things anymore. They're, yeah. They don't. I, I've, I've flown on KC-135, so, and that was 30 years ago, so I'll tell you how. <laughs> They've been around a while. I think they're on the R model yeah. now, the KC-135R. They are way down the alphabet at this point with those planes. So the original plan was to go with the new Dreamliner, the 787, but it was a little bit too much carbon fiber for the Air Force, I think. So they went with the 767 design. And there's still a lot of engineering that has to uh, be done. I mean, you're talking about massive fuel tanks. You're talking about a refueling arm that drops down and, ha- you know, it has to, you know, not cause static shock. It has to survive gravitational forces and stress forces of unbelievable, you know, magnitude. So there's a little bit of, of not just taking an airplane off the, off the runway and slapping a boom on it going, here you go, boys, have fun refueling. <laughs> well, see, this plane, I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in this plane, too, because supposedly... The first uh, squadron is going to be deployed here in Wichita at the McConnell Air Force Base. So Jeff's going to build them, and I'm going to watch them fly. So I'm anxious. Yeah. They need to hurry up and get this fixed. The other thing that was interesting is that, <laughs> it's funny, Airbus is, is really not a U.S. company. Oh, no. And so during the bidding process, uh, even though they had a better bid, there was a lot of stunt. Oh, because it's got to be made in America? Yeah. Yeah, what happened was the KC-31, and then Boeing protested it and got it overturned, and they were the selection. Right, okay. So yeah. had everything just stuck with the original... Oops. Yeah, that, oh, that's a shame, though. Well, really yes shame. and no. I mean, I can underst- I can truly understand, especially when you're talking about military contracts or government contracts, that you want products that are made in, you know, you award them to companies that are American. And I think that goes for any country, unless you don't have a resource. 
uh, like aircraft. But there's a there's also a downside to it too. I mean, we take a look at the F-35. So you know, there there's pros and cons to to it all. But in the end, I think that the you know, I mean, they employ jobs here, they pay their taxes here, and they pay their late fees to the government yeah, here. Yeah. So I'm okay with the with the uh, with the bidding. Now, normally I'm you know I'm pretty liberal on on that, but but in this case, I think that was well deserved protest. Well, we'll find out in 2018. Have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checker screen, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for June 3rd, 2016, 114,841,000 of about 500,000, 1.39 million registered accounts of about 3,800, and 983,000 ships in the UE fleet of about 5,500. And speaking of Star Citizen, the PTU was recently updated to 2.40, and the devs mentioned that the testing groups are being greatly helpful. Apparently, the major hurdle at the moment is related to networking bugs. Uh, LA is focusing on the Caterpillar, and almost everyone else is doing motion capture work and animations for Squadron 42, a lot of which will eventually filter into the main Star Citizen game itself. Judging by the spike in donation sales figures, the Buccaneer was a hit with Star Citizen backers. In support of the offer, CIG released two Q&As about this ship during the week. The first one mostly emphasized the fighter's role as a combat ship. As such, there is no bed, nor any cargo space, although there is room behind the pilot chair to store personal weapons up to a sniper rifle. The ship also does not come with a jump drive, but there is room to install one. Both posts emphasized that any concept art featuring two seats was just concept art. It will only ever have one seat. The rest of the second one dealt mostly with the combat performance. Their target is to put the ship on par with the Gladius for maneuverability, with less raw durability than the Hornet, though the first post indicated that a Buccaneer versus an F-7C should be an even fight. One of the primary trade-offs for this ability was that the Buccaneer is vulnerable to targeted attacks because most of its weapons are on the wings. Blowing those off leaves the ship much less effective in combat. The cockpit also has more obvious cross-section to shoot at. Alright Jeff, so you're in the PTU, which is up to O, which is not as high in the alphabet as the KC-135 tanker. Right. But it's, it's got a few letters to That's go. That's true. Well, I, you but, know, but it's I have been there. playing. What do you think? Um, I, I have a few quips about, yes, the net, the net code, especially on my 7 meg DSL, is absolutely atrocious. I glitch, I pause, it's not smooth at all. I, I, I could be traveling in space and I pretty much skip ahead, you know, the rubber band effect. But uh, I, some of the things I really, you know, they're testing the economy, but they start you out with 2300 bucks. I mean, that's not enough to buy a, a, a uh, a whistle, let alone test anything in the economy. I mean, if they, this is vapor money, people. And I've been in other test places where they're testing the economy and they dump millions on you. You know, here, go, go blow your mind because it's not going to stick around. <laughs> you know, um, right, right. So uh, why is that? Do you think I, I don't because they, I think they want you to to test the missions for the receiving of these of the mission rewards. But the fact is, with the net code ah. so bad, I could only complete one mission. I only earned nine hundred bucks. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, ah. So what you're telling me is your motivation's low. Yeah, 
Yeah, if if, okay. if the okay. net yeah. code's yeah. so bad I can't do missions, then my motivation to do missions is pretty poor. Other than that, I realize that the attire that they're selling is really just one design of many colors. I understand that there'll be more. I hope that they come up with better displays. I hope they're shopping through the Mobi glass. Uh, the other thing I hope they improve is that uh, when I first <laughs> when I first logged in, I assumed that I was wearing my flight suit. And so the first time I walked through the airlock, I died. Were you naked? <laughs> uh, no, I wasn't naked. I, w- I was clothed, but I died. So one of the suggestions I was going to write this up is that they have some type of RFID imprint on their airlock doors so that the airlocks won't function unless you're wearing a, a flight suit because you don't have a, a little radio tag that says, hey, I got one on. I mean, it's a simple technology fix and you would have thought, hey, this would have been implemented already. But, you know, what what can you say? If you don't put on your overshoes, your galoshes when you go outside yes, in the rain. I, I mean, it didn't even dawn on me to check, you know, your flight suit was automatically on and so was your helmet. Yeah. yeah. You know, you go yeah, pick up your ship true. and you go out to the airlock and there you go. And so it took me a while to figure out where my flight suit is. So when you spawn in, you actually have to go to your closet in the room, open up the closet, and it automatically puts on your flight suit. Now, every time you log in, you have it done. So... So persistence. Yes, the persistence is working. Yes. So yeah, all in all, I, it's a it's a far far good work in progress, and I was very pleased with the uh, efforts that Star Citizen and CIG have made to the game we're all hoping to play, and we'll we'll be playing here in 2020. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, did I say that? Or so. <laughs> <laughs> 2020 plus three months. <laughs> No, I yeah. think 2020 is the, with the three months out of 10. I think. Yeah, uh, okay. Okay. Being optimistic then. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So the Buccaneer, the latest uh, ship that has gone on concept sale as a fighter, um, has this tempted either of you to open your wallets? It has tempted me, but I'm on limited funds, so I, I played the angel side of myself and told the devil side to go take a vacation. And, and no, and not for me at all because I have a Super Hornet and I have a. I always forget the name of the stupid thing. Vanguard. Vanguard. That's, that's there. Oh, the Vanguard. Right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so I, I'm all fired up. But that Buccaneer looks mighty fun. From what I could tell, the visibility in that thing is gonna be awesome. <laughs> yeah, it does have a very large set of bay windows. You've almost got a, a 180 degree view, at least from what we're able to see on the concept art. The one thing that I find kind of interesting though is the ability to shoot the wings to disable the weapons, which they've said, you know, if you can destroy the wings and this thing can't fight back, which, yeah, okay, cool, that's a... Well, it does have a turret like a, underneath, so there is... Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the comparison that I'm trying to make is that I'm actually wondering if they are going to extend this, if you do X, then it won't be able to do Y philosophy, because as we all know, the other ship that gets into a little bit of trouble if you shoot up its wings, or at least in theory it should, is my personal favorite, the Mustang. So I'm wondering if they are going to sort of make it so that eventually you may not be able to land properly if you do destroy the rings. Because right now, if you destroy part of the wing, you can land and it's like the geometry is still there, but the texture is missing. So it's see-through, but it's most definitely still, uh, according to the game, like a physical fixed wing. Yeah, I don't get quite that. easily perch on. <laughs> it just because yeah. all I want to do, Leonard, when I see your Mustang, is shoot its wings <laughs> off so that you can't land. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, that's a casualty of the of them working of them reworking the uh, damage system. 
the, you know, the, yeah. the geometry is still there, but the, the texture doesn't get painted. So, or it gets painted in a damaged, you know, format until you blow it off and you can't land anymore. Ha ha. The, the gameplay aspect of it is interesting to me, although I wouldn't count on being able to sharpshoot off somebody's wings if they're more maneuverable than you or, uh, you know, if they're, uh, if, if you're in a heavier, larger ship. Uh, you just, I, just just try to blow it up. I don't know. I mean, if you've got the the way that they do it currently with like the uh, the where you have to lead your shots with the reticle, if your computer could analyze and offset slightly, it might be able to do it. You know, you, it still takes some skill to actually follow the reticle. Maybe it'll be slightly smaller because of what you're trying to aim for, or you know, it'll be moving around a lot quicker. Obviously, because it's, it's targeting specifically the wings. But I reckon, given the technology of the time, that that should surely be doable well also if you could zoom and override your targeting and just uh you know be good at aiming you might be able to do the same thing too oh you boys you love the game you're building well someone's gonna build it might as well be us (laughs) (laughs) elite's galaxy has been unusually dangerous since the release of the engineers update as anyone playing recently can tell you with revamped npc ai scaling with combat rank heavily modified ship weapons and modules and bugged attacks dubbed wmds by the community it's been a brutal time to engage in almost any profession fortunately this week's updates have fixed the worst parts of the new and uh, <coughs> improved npc behavior while enhanced ai is working as designed and will remain the spawn rates of the highest ranked npcs have been rebalanced commanders should now see more of the low mid-range npcs in normal travel around the bubble and even signal sources for missions will only spawn the top-end AI in elite missions. Frontier devs have agreed that the new AI combined with heavily modified and upgraded gear was an overwhelming change to spring on everybody all at once, and as a result, almost all the engineered gear has been removed from NPC vessels for the time being. Their intention is to monitor the performance of the AI and possibly reintroduce some of the modifications for NPCs in the future, uh, hopefully in a very much more gradual way. Additionally, weapon effects like the frag railgun or the pulse plasma accelerator that have been reported by many players turned out to be the result of a nasty networking bug that was combining weapon stats inappropriately. The good news is though that this should also now be fixed. And finally because the bugs and the unintended levels of difficulty since the release of 2.1, all insurance payouts made from the launch through update 2.01.02 will be reimbursed. This should wind down all the saga of Revenge of the NPCs, which has been a hot topic covered in PC Gamer and other gaming news sites over the last week. Will these fixes bring the difficulty back into a comfortable level for most? Time and Shiv's credit balance will tell. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of my favorite news stories that we've ever read, I think. This, let, let me tell you, gentlemen, this was uh, a rude, a rude awakening for me and for many. Last week, I went in, uh, I, I related last week a little bit of uh, our senior producer Elliot's troubles. Well, I went into a combat zone with my Imperial Courier, another fine spaceship, people, for discriminating pilots. Oh, Tony, nice. Tony, hang on, sorry, you've, you've dropped something. Oh, it's another name of another ship. Look at that. Yes. Here you go. Yes, it is. Yes, it's. Not quite as prestigious as the Cutter, but it's a very sweet ride. Anyway, it's a tricked-out little ship. A-class everything. You know, I've got it dialed in to the power levels are just right. You know, I've got it exactly where I want it. I went into a combat zone. 
got nearly killed the first time, and I thought, oh, uh, fluke, you know, I wasn't paying attention or whatever. I went prepared, rearmed, went back. I was murdered in the first 30 seconds. That that pulse plasma accelerator thing, I was surrounded by a cloud of purple guns and just obliterated within seconds. It was insane. <laughs> uh, it, it just absolutely blew, blew my mind and blew me up. So I'm looking at about 700,000 credits in insurance refunds. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> a pulse plasma accelerator. Does uh, yeah. I wonder if we're eventually like going to see those types of weapons actually making it in there, because I can see that they'll kind of play on this in the future. Uh, in fact, there was a, a Galnet piece that was released about it, wasn't there? They decided to actually write this whole dev up into the fiction of the universe, which I thought was an incredibly cool way of handling it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's it's. it's I, I wise think it's fun from logging that. in during that that stormy period. Well, I mean, if you just avoid trouble, you're fine. <laughs> avoid like, trouble. Like, well, I, it, it's kind of tough to do. Kind of tough to do when you're out trying to make a space living, hunting down space bounties. But you just got to adjust, right? So instead of going to the hazardous uh, resource zones, I went to the high level resource zones. And I found a comfortable level of NPCs that, you know, the deadly ones and the dangerous ones now truly are deadly and or dangerous. If you're going to go after an elite one, make sure that the cops are nearby, right? So you pick the fight with them and then the cops swarm them and you take take them down together. So, I mean, it's just you have to be a little more careful. Your, your earn rates are not as high as they used to be, but it can still be done. But it's, yeah, it, it for a while there it felt really unfair. Elite piloted NPCs now truly do use all their tactics. They're constantly blowing countermeasures. They are maneuvering a lot better. They do not spin, do the little spinny rotating thing of death anymore. That's gone. Oh, um, yeah, I know that was a shame. That was my favorite, one of my favorite NPC tactics. I'm gonna hold still and, turn and rotate. Circle. Yeah, <laughs> just sitting here while you burn my shields down and destroy me. Okay, I miss that tactic of theirs. Overall, I think the changes are good, and I think that removing the crazy overpowered weapons is a definite fix that needed to happen. Well, Guard Frequency has dropped tidbits about this game in the past, but the dev studio responsible for this has just released its first major patch following a month of testing, and access to Everspace is now broadly available. So this is a more in-depth look at the game, so you guys know what to expect. So Everspace is a roguelike space sim, which means that you're not really following a predetermined script like Wing Commander, although the devs do claim that there will be a deep storyline. Nor are you playing in an open world like Elite Dangerous. No, if you've played FTL, then you get the basic idea here. Each time you play, you have a fighter and you're flying from area to area in a sector, collecting loot, avoiding hazards, and fighting enemies. You use the loot to keep your ship together and craft new or upgraded materials whilst you're flying, and you continue to do this until you inevitably die. At that point, you are returned to your hangar, where you can use the money you collected on your last run to apply permanent upgrades to your ship or eventually get new and better ships. The game is not aimed at hardcore space sim fans. The flight model is dirt simple. The focus was clearly on the minimum needed to create space dogfighting, though there is some basic Newtonian maneuvering. And while the vistas are very pretty, they are far too busy and crowded to be anywhere close to realistic, you know, unless the whole game is taking place near a galactic core. Each area is procedurally generated, however, so it's not like an old arcade game where you can memorize enemy positions and strategies to just coast through the early levels after you've played enough. Different loot, enemies, and environments appear on each run, and of course the incremental upgrades change how threatening each situation is. 
Everspace's latest patch focused on major complaints from Alpha's first month, which centered around a clunky crafting menu, a HUD that didn't clearly differentiate between the points of interest and actual enemies, and an AI that was a little too good at aiming. The game is available to pre-order for 25 euros, or you can chip in an extra 15 to get access to the beta, expected to be live at the end of this summer. The tentative release date is October of this year. Several people with Alpha access have uploaded game sessions to YouTube, so check those out if you want a more hands-on look, or visit the game's official page linked in the show notes. So the main question here is, have any of you guys played in the Alpha, or... No. Much like me, are you mainly experiencing it from other people? Well, I'm, I'm living vicariously through the internet. Yeah, me too. Yeah. But I, uh, but this studio, uh, their previous title was a mobile title called Galaxy on Fire. Yes. And I downloaded and played that, and I also downloaded and played Galaxy on Fire 2. Those were good games, especially for a mobile. You know, lower-powered rigs, but uh, just a fun little story and interesting combat. And so the studio, I think, uh, has a good history a good reputation to deliver this kind of a game and i wasted hours on ftl oh yes yeah ftl hours definitely one of my most favorite games uh of the last few years it's because it's just so easy to just fire up do a few missions normally it would be like a okay just one more mission okay just one more mission Mm-hmm. Okay, I can jump to that. Like system. Civ. Ooh, just, well, I don't know. Civ never really bit me the way it seems to have just consumed your whole existence. But Okay, like Europa it, Universalis. There we go. It's much there like that. Go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm definitely going to be checking out the beta on this, especially now that it's gone into open. And, and 25 euros plus an extra 15, uh, for certainly for the UK, that's not a bad price to get access to this, especially, you know, it, it is a really good-looking game. It kind of almost reminded me of the very first time when Arena Commander was released. You know, they had the decoupled mode that you're able to use, and there's a little bit of that built in, but generally it, it is very much a, a World War II dogfighter-in-space-type feel to it. So anybody who likes Arena Commander should feel quite at home in this. Well, what's interesting on their uh, on their announcement page is that they are optimizing it for keyboard and mouse, and joystick and controller support will only come in later on once they get the game pretty much fleshed out. So it really is a computer PC game that they're looking to put together. I look at this and I see it screams console to me. I mean, this thing really should be on console, but they say they're not going to do that until they've got it released and stable on PC. I suppose, but it just this game just screams console to me. This would be I think it would be hugely popular on a console. And the other thing that struck me about this is the way that they've designed death into the system. Yeah. It's like you have to die from time to time in order to access certain features of the game. Which I find fascinating. Usually death is something to be avoided in video games, but this time it's like, no, I probably need to die now i've got a huge credit balance and i want to get the next tier ship and i want to you know buy better armor or whatever that's fascinating to me yeah i mean having a tactical death involved is something that like you were saying you, you don't really tend to find too much certainly in the space sim genre at all well they say several times in their article we are not a space sim uh, yeah, and, yeah. And I, so so automatically jeff is going to tell us to stop covering this game yeah stop covering this game <laughs> <laughs> no it's too pretty. It, it and it's is based on FTL, which is awesome. Well, you know, Tony, it's a slippery slope for you because once you uh, bend your I ethics, know. there you go. 
I know because you know next we'll be covering like you know the My Little Pony tablet app. I know it's it's going to happen any day now. <laughs> yeah. We're headed. Yeah. Well, we covered Goat Simulator, so we did cover Goat yes, Simulator. Yes, but Goat Simulator it, well, has its space yeah. Well, it does now, but we covered it a long time ago before it had a space sim. Yes, that was way back in a segment that we used to have called uh, Where the F*** is the Dogfighting Module, I think that's is right. its original name, before it became Where, where we, the F*** is the First Person Shooter Module, and that's a question right. we're still asking today. Well, I guess, I suppose we have an answer, but it's not a very good one. But yes, we used to tell people what we were playing while we were waiting for certain modules to drop uh, from CIG. So, yes, uh, Goat Simulator was one of the ones we covered back in the early mists of the dawn of time of card frequency. So, yeah, uh, this is... I. It's may, it, it may not be a space sim, but it has spaceships and fighters and guns, and you fly around and blow stuff up. So uh, well, we're going to keep our eye on this one. I love Descent Underground, too, but it's not truly a space sim. Yeah. Right, right. And this is very much in that category. You know, this is way closer to a space sim than... For example, EVE Online or even that, you know, Star Trek Online will, or any yes, of those. Yes, that is true. That is very true. From what yeah. I've seen of the gameplay yeah. and living vicariously, I, I guess we can bend the ethics there just a little bit. But now it's time for news we didn't use. Flavian has nailed the physics upgrade in Infinity Battlescape. Mike Kulas and Luke Schneider answer your questions about Overload, the Six Degrees of Freedom shooter from the creators of the original Descent in their second May update. Links are in the show notes. The co-op mode for Descent Underground will be in place more sooner-ish. For those of you who have always wanted an Anaconda in Elite Dangerous but couldn't afford one, Bobble Chips are now available in the Frontier Store. Put an Anaconda on your dashboard. PlayStation via Twitter confirms No Man's Sky will officially launch on all platforms on August 10th. And CRG's monthly report is undoubtedly available as and when you hear this broadcast, but once again they put it out way too late for us to review before showtime. We'll pull out the important bits for you next week. My son is very sad about the No Man's Sky delay. I can understand, but at the same time, you know, it's only really the first sort of well I guess it's not really the first delay the point that I'm trying to get across is that they haven't had as many delays as other titles and so I'm actually cool with it for the time being but yeah Yeah, I'm eager to get my hands on it at the same time yes yeah, I, mean, I think my son was more looking forward to wasting his entire summer playing it but he's oh yeah it's now it's going to release basically right before he goes back to school so that's the source of his melancholy uh, yeah. about the whole thing he's going to He's going to have to waste his time with other video games instead. Oh, what a shame. Which I, I, I know, to be 13 again, really. Well, though it's definitely out of genre, I imagine that most of you have heard of Overwatch, a new FPS game put out by Blizzard, the company most famous for World of Warcraft, and have been basically using it to print their own money ever since. Apart from attracting 7 million players in the first week, it's made the news recently and is being praised for its very aggressive anti-cheating policy. Users caught using cheating overlays or having them even installed whilst playing Overwatch were permabanned on the first offence. Even those who then went out and purchased a new copy of the game and wiped their systems of any cheating software were unable to return after punishment. And Blizzard's official announcement indicates that they are not really making appeals a priority. Most of the reaction to this from the community has been positive, so is this something that everybody should do? And if so, why aren't they? 
is the amount of data mining and monitoring necessary only available to a megalithic company like Blizzard? Or are smaller companies just simply too worried about alienating the fringes of their player base to make the tough calls and spend the money for hardline measures? Well, that's what we're here to find out. Gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to debate for us harsh anti-cheating policies. Unofficial polls done indicate that Jeff is in fact a dirty, dirty cheater That's who hacks right. his way to victory, whilst Tony will immediately stop using in-game items even rumoured to have development bugs that may give him a slight advantage. So, Jeff, tell us why the strictest anti-cheating measures aren't actually feasible for all games. Tony, they are my player base. I mean, I have to coddle these people and make sure that they come back and they spend their money every month you know i'm charging them that that 14.99 for a game that should only be 5.99 you know but i want them to come back and i'll you know so what it's just a pixel item i mean i make this great little piece of clothing and they will all want it why not you know it's just it's generous of me you know i get them so so what i can take the negativity Lennon, you slutty ignoramus. I have to say that even if you take that road of, well, I have to ensure that this repeat customer player base who feels powerful when they get away with something, you're setting yourself up for short-term gain, long-term loss. As people start to realize, hey, I can't win by being honest, you will in fact alienate the large, non-cheating, standard player base much quicker and eventually damage your game in the long term. Ah, Tony, you ignorant slutteramus. You know, there is no way that I'm going to lose you because you know what? I'm going to create something new and I'm going to put it out there that everybody will want and they'll all come back and, you know, the, the rounds of cheating again. Oh, you know, I'll, make, I'll tell you what, I'll make a token effort. I'll make a token effort to catch the cheaters and then, you know, everybody will feel good about it and then, uh, you know, things will be back to the way they used to be. Jeff Lennon, you scholarly gentleman, I must protest that the economics of letting cheaters run rampant in your game will always be worse than the economics you'll get by strict measures. People have confidence in the system. People have a reason to keep coming back. And word of mouth that you take the rule seriously will only improve your game in the long term. All right, thank you, gentlemen. That seemed like it was a tough one to be on the downside of because, personally, for me, I, I can't see why any company wouldn't do strict anti-cheating. By the sound of it, Tony can't see why any company would do strict anti-cheating. Jeff, honestly, I think you can't see why any company wouldn't do strict anti-cheating. I, I, so I can't. I, and, I, and I don't understand. And I tried to think of the mindset in which they would thinking of because really a lot of games they do make token busts every once in a while or bans or you know whatever they'll do a pass and and they'll you know ban a few accounts and you know many of these will come back under appeal and and i've seen it happen and it's like you know a lot of times they just don't care and i'm really glad that blizzard after after many years of the cheating that's gone on on wow and believe me it's gone on in wow that they actually took this stand and I applaud them for it. And I think every company should take harsh because you know what? It's the rule of law. You break the law, you go to jail. And if this is what it takes, 
there will be no more lawbreakers. Well, here's here's the flip side of it, and for once, I wish the uh, the online poll or the dice roll or the strip poker, or whatever it was we did this week, had actually gone the other way. Because I've got one real reason, one, and it's a pretty good one, why this isn't such a good idea. And the reason is is because somehow the program, the game program, has to know what else is running on your machine. You've got to give it access to some layer of your operating system so that it can discover those target overlays or whatever macro you're running or whatever that is enabling you to cheat. And I am not real comfortable handing the keys to my hard drive over to Activision or EA or you know or Ubisoft or any of those yeah. guys. I'm not real pleased about that. I, cheating is a problem, don't get me wrong, but I'd much rather it be detected server-side, which is why I prefer those games that have the server validation architecture rather than the client-side validation architecture. My understanding is Elite Dangerous is still client-side validation, and so that's why PvP and Elite is kind of sketchy, because it's harder to catch people who are cheating. Right, you know, with so, the aimbots and stuff. And, and I get that, yeah. but be it server-side or data mining or whatever, I mean, if it's my game and I created it, I must have played it. I know how long it should take me to get X item, or I know how accurate my weapon is. If I set some rules on my data that says, okay, look for extraordinary gold amounts or extraordinary kill yeah. uh, kill counts or, you know, then I should be able to say, you know, be able to take a look at this a little bit more in depth and say, oh, wow, this person is doing something. But you got to hire a person for that. I was going to say, and I think this is one of the things that why this has made some pretty big news is because of the speed with which Blizzard was able to identify and ban as many people as they have. Well, the, the speed at which they're able to do it is because they've automated the detection. If software is running concurrently with Overwatch that we Activision and in our infinite wisdom have decided enables cheating behavior, you're done. We're going to tag your IP address or some other uh, personally identifiable uh, information that comes from your router or from your network card or whatever. And so we know that if you buy a new copy of the game, you're that guy. So they're collecting a lot of personal information about you. They're looking at what your hard drive is doing, and they're saying, you don't get a play no more. And I think, in theory, that's really great, but I think it implies a whole lot of knowledge about you that maybe you weren't Not ready to share with that because you're computer. talking about about information that's that's in a packet. I mean, I, if I were to snip your your packets right now, I could probably tell you what MAC address sure. you're coming from, and and you know. I'll, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But would you keep it? Would I keep it? Probably not, because it to me it has no value, right. really. Sure. But, but but Activision's keeping this now. Well. And that's You're on and the that's, blacklist. You know, when you sign that, when you agree to that installation, EL, you know, uh, yeah, you know, you're probably which I'm sure them, everybody reads every word of. Hey, that's on you. Certain things like that are <laughs> well within the bounds, well within the bounds of of, of any game company to to gather. Now, whether I actually want them into my hard drive and looking at my you know, all the rest of the stuff on my hard drive, hell no. Oh, okay, so the other programs that are memory resident, is that okay with you? Memory resident. Define memory resident because I don't think our listeners know exactly what that means. The, the other the other programs that are actively taking up clock cycles on your computer. Right. You, know, you open up your task manager and you've got super duper cheater bot program thingy running concurrently with Overwatch. 
Hmm. Right? That's how they're deciding who to ban, right? Right. I mean, is that cool? Are you cool with that? No, Maybe not scanning not your cool hard drive that. for all your private data yeah, files. I'm not, but. I'm not cool with that. I, I think there's other ways well, of detecting your cheat methods, but I'm not cool with them looking at my resident anything. Well, now that you know our thoughts on it, we want to hear yours. So this week's community question. Can everybody implement first offense maximum punishment anti-cheating systems and they're just too nervous? Or are there other factors that prevent smaller games and companies from taking the same measures? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on the show thread at guardfrequency.com. Now that we've cheated our way through this segment, let's tune in the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? Some say if he sits too close to a fire, his back turns into popcorn, and that Google occasionally has to ask him for the answer. But all he knows, he's called the Shiv, and he'll put together this week's feedback. Community question last week, do narrative-driven space sims need to come back into the fold, or are they relics to look back on fondly, but have no place in modern gaming? And Amontillado kicks things off saying, Stories are a part of the human condition, and I don't see that ever changing. There will always be a place for narrative-driven games, and space sims are no exception. We want stories, and having well-designed narratives are often much more satisfying than random happenstance. There's also a place for open-world, make-your-own-experience type of games. We don't always want to be told a story, but would rather enjoy telling one ourselves. Open-world games allow for a sort of collaborative storytelling that can take on a reality outside of the authors and can be incredibly compelling. Today's technologies allow for collaborative storytelling tools like never before, and the possibilities are very exciting players can create and consume content faster than any developer can crank it out, and the creativity of the players can keep a game interesting and relevant for years beyond what a development studio might be able to support. Ideally, you can support both types of gaming, giving players a structured framework as well as the tools to create their own stories and the space in which to do so. The Squadron 42 slash Star Citizen Persistent Universe approach, I think, is a very good one. Sean Newboy writes in to say, wonderful show everyone, great job. As for ND, I think Fallout 4 is a good example. Although there's a lot of narrative there, there's also other things that can be done outside of that parameter. The concept of DLC to add to a narrative game could make such a game much longer play-wise down the line as well. Well, Sale writes in, and great show, guys. I think the narrative is very important and is the main thing that interests me in games. Even Overwatch, an online multiplayer shooter, has a rich backstory that causes you to care about the characters and the environments you're playing. This kind of backdrop adds immensely to the enjoyment of any gaming experience. The more fully it's realized, the more invested players become. I agree that a mix of open world and linear story is a good balance, but I also agree with Tony that taking you out of the narrative to do some more mundane tasks is indiscriminate amount of time while the universe is burning, is jarring and artificial. Regarding last week, I do want to apologize to Tony for my callous condemnation and accusations of being a DS fanboy. However, I still do not understand your motivation to dedicate a whole show to him, and based on your closing comments, neither did you. A simple 30 seconds saying you guys buried the hatchet would have sufficed. The last thing I'll say is that it was a poor decision and it just left a bad taste for your consideration of what your listeners want to hear. Also, your lawyer... A comparison made absolutely no sense to me. Game development and trial law? I don't see them remotely the same. Well, let's just put this behind us, shall we? Krell writes in and says, This is a handcrafted artisanal comment. It should be read in artisanal voice to make up for episode 121. After that, 
I forgive you. All right, hang on. I'm going to get a little drink here. Ah, okay. <clears throat> I think there's definitely a place for both story-driven and open-world games, and they can definitely complement and enhance each other. Every open-world game has a history to it, lore, that explains why the universe is the way it is today. Allowing players to experience that history can make for some truly amazing single-player experiences, and it makes the open-world experience far richer. In the specific case of Star Citizen, we know that Squadron 42 takes place before we enter the Persistent Universe. I suspect, for those of us involved with the project now, that will be fairly seamless. We begin by joining the military, probably the start of an escalating war with the Vanduul, and participate in whatever part of the war the story first covers. At the end, we each muster out and join the Persistent Universe as someone who recently left the military under varying circumstances. You know, finished the campaign, didn't finish, quit halfway through, whatever. That single-player story sets the tone for the start of the Persistent Universe. What's more interesting to me is how CIG will handle the transition from Squadron 42 to the Persistent Universe a few years from now. People entering the open-world game at that point will be coming into what is likely to be a very different place, with game-altering changes happening in the meantime. If you defeat the Vanduul and System Alpha at the end of your single-player experience, it would be fairly jarring to enter the Persistent Universe and find in the last three years the Vanduul have killed NPCs that were alive at the end of your game and now in control of System Alpha that you just finished liberating. The lore team is going to need to deal with that, perhaps by having a written or even animated sequence that brings the new player up to date. And Mike Foley says, Good show and good points regarding Derek Smart and Tony. Didn't listen to last week's show, but I'm now tempted. Well done, Tony. Honestly, very mature of you, you wanton hussy. Really, though, I mean it. As for the question, yes, a narrative can give depth and a reason to play and participate in the in-game events. It's got to be good, though. Well, you know, uh, whatever we can do to make it up to everybody. But just a couple last points, and we really should move on from it. The whole reason we did the show was because people can have mature conversations even if they start very far apart and mad at each other. And that, uh, that was the point, is that we started off very far apart, and we came together on some common ground. That common ground had to be very carefully defined, but we, we found it, and we occupied it for 90 minutes. And we were civil to each other, and I think that's important. And I think everyone needs, uh, at least for me, it was important for me to get that out to our audience, that no matter how far apart you start with people, common ground and mature discussion are still possible. And on the other part, the lawyer thing, that was somebody else's suggestion so I was working off of listener feedback and that's why I went with it I'm sorry if it didn't if the analogy didn't work for everybody but that was wrote written in by a listener and I, I ran with that um, but uh, you know let's let bygones be bygones and move on with things bravely forward I do like how somebody writes in and says you should do this in the artisanal voice and he was like yes monkey see monkey dance and yes sure yeah yeah you that was that was that was great uh, almost worthy of a I was going to say the name of the award for a one-act play, and then I realized that's a Tony Award, so that's... <laughs> Never mind. Never you know, mind. I've changed my Never, whole stance. Never mind. That. Never mind. Yeah. Well, any, any chance I can have to pander, you know, and to, you know, just do whatever it, it takes to please somebody. That's, you know, that's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, going back to the community question, though, about the narrative and the open space game world type thing, I agree with, again, what most people say. It does really need to strike a balance between the two. Which um, I guess the one thing that our debates show is that the middle of the road option is always the better option. And yeah, except maybe this week. 
I wonder if this one's going to see a few more polarizing views. I, w- I wonder. I mean, the narrative thing, it's it's helpful to have a hook. It's, uh, it's helpful to have an anchor or something to, you know, either grab you and pull you into the story or alternatively, if you want to use the anchor metaphor, something to keep you centered in a, in, in a you know, keep you oriented uh, yeah. and, and, and avoid you from drifting around all over. But, you know, there can be a long chain on that anchor or, you know, a lot of line on that hook. It gives you some freedom to sort of run or to roam around a bit, but I, I think it's important that it's there. I think one of the other sort of things as well is that for me, having a persistent story that you can dip in and out of, like you know, like the listeners were saying, mm-hmm. it can be a bit jarring because a lot of times the main story it's always driven, it's always trying to force you on to the next thing, like in a good way, you know, it's to move the narrative forward. But there's usually some sort of context, like oh, you've got to save the world, or oh no, there's a dragon trying to destroy this town, or oh, the crystalline entity has attacked System Two Two Four X B, and it's like you know, you could just say, eh, I'm just going to go shopping for a couple of days, you know. That's cool, right? Yeah. No. yeah. Nothing's going to die in the meantime. No, cool. And so I think that if you do have a story, like the, taking it to the next level with a persistent universe style setup would be to have actual consequences. If you don't go and do that, then, you know, this happens. Or I don't know, maybe not time limit the missions as such. Uh, not, not to like a strict, you know, you've got to do this within the next half hour. But if somebody leaves it for months then something should happen as a result, I think. Yeah, it, or it could be something along the lines of, you know, maybe it takes you out of character for some instructions, basically saying if you visit a storefront or a repair shop prior to completing this mission, that you, you it's an automatic fail. Or, yeah. You know, or, or negative consequences will, will occur thus and such, you know. I like uh, that. We should, we should put that in the game we're building. We should put that in the game we're building. I think you're right. And in general feedback, Creelvar says, good episode, much, much better than last week. Rent-A-Spoon says, goat simulator trailer in the blooper reel was pretty funny. The games loved it, in reference to last week. And Sonny, our good friend from Sonny's Diner from back in the day, impressive feedback work on a not-so-easy subject. You guys are pros. Grimlich says, a little late, but this was buzzing around my head and finally came out. Several questions before you can answer the one about NDA suitability vis-a-vis Star Citizen. Number one, who defines open development for CIG, considering their new funding and industry models? Two, does every backer have access to Alpha Release 2.3? If yes, then the goal for Alpha Access has ostensibly been met. Three, does that satisfy the industry definition of Alpha Access? After all, backer definitions are like noses, everybody has one, just ask around. I'll wait. And four, who determines what place the NDA PTU and the PTU have within this industry paradigm? See question number one. Oh, and five, how does it feel to be the new favorite of he who should not be named? (laughs) Winky face. We're naming him now. His name is Derek Smart. Yeah. But the other four points, though, you know. Yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, I I think, you know, this... I recognize these sorts of traps when I see them, sir. (laughs) Uh, I wasn't a fool born yesterday. Uh, You're right. CIG gets to define open development because it's their brand new shiny model. Backers do have access to a version of the PTU. may not be the latest shiny or the latest broken, depending on what letter of the alphabet is uh, affixed to the end of the number these days. But you're right. Everybody's got alpha access. Does it satisfy the industry definition of alpha access? Well... To the extent that there is an industry definition of alpha access, Jeff, you've covered this a dozen times. It's broken. It's basically testing features, right? I mean, yeah, correct. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, it's it it you know it loosely conforms to what most people would expect as what an alpha would be, 
And who determines what place the NDA PTU versus the regular PTU? Well, again, yes, that's CIG. So, yes, CIG is in the driver's seat on this. CIG can do whatever it wants, and CIG can run the show. That's fine. But that's why we do the show, because without someone saying, hey, wait a minute, well, then people can do whatever they feel like and run roughshod over everybody and just, you know, do whatever. And I, our, and I, you know, Tony, I don't think it's a, hey, even, hey, wait a minute. I think it's a matter of let's talk about this and find out what that that is. What, what does that mean? I mean, it, you know, this is a whole new process for building games. Yeah. And we're game watching we it really, happen as it happens. You know, game we really want to play. So, yeah. Um, what are its definitions? So this one won't be the last one. This won't be the last game that does this. Hopefully, uh, right? <laughs> you know, we should we should, and that's what we're doing. We are observing and we're learning and we're discussing as they do it. Do we agree with all the defini- their definitions and decisions? No, but that's why it's exciting, and that's why we do the show every week. Or one of the reasons is because this is a groundbreaking sort of thing they're doing. And when we're right up in the, the front seats watching it. So, well, it, it, it's it's not so much that we despise or don't like their definitions. It's can it be done better? Can it be done differently? The next people to try this, can they improve on the model? And that's that's where we're coming from. And also, by the way, I would like to eventually play this game. And so anything that we can do to advise or help or give a second opinion or a different perspective or another set of eyes, I hope I hope that people are listening. Uh, I have no control over that, but I hope they do. So it's, it's, you know, the role of the loyal opposition, shall we say. We want the game to succeed. We want the company to succeed. But when you're inside it, sometimes it's hard to see things. And you need to have somebody outside looking in going, hey, did you consider this or look at that too? Well, we want we want this genre to succeed. It's not just about this game, but it's about the other games we cover right. as well. Oh, well, I mean, would there be this explosion of space-based games without the Star Citizen Juggernaut? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I honestly don't think I don't think this would be a thing. That's hard to say because I think that uh, Elite was in in develop uh, was in development when uh, when Star Citizen was announced. Possible. I mean, that's true. But Elite was a shaky launch. I mean, it, it was it was true. Oh, yeah. It wasn't it was that no great of a game. Uh, it's it, you know a perfect example of anything that's done right. I mean, you know, yeah, it it's got its own foibles and problems. It's it is a much different and much better game than it was you know even a year ago. Yeah. So it, it's 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 come a long way. And this week's Kimmy question: Can everyone implement first offense maximum punishment anti-cheating systems and are they just too nervous or are there other factors that prevent smaller games and companies from taking some real same measures let us know your thoughts and send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show's thread at guardfrequency.com so how was the show were we actually playing the game as intended or are we likely to be seeing the ban hammer thundering down on us Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave a comment on this show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak and leave a comment and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. If you're old school like us, just shoot an email to Squawk at GuardFrequency.com. And you can also use the contact form on our website and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. 
And that'll bring us to the end of episode 123 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 124 on June 14th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows on our website, guardfrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, then you can always join us live over guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 11 p.m. Central. That's Saturdays at 5 a.m. GMT. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? Drop us an email to spock at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support our show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just the low, low price of $1.25, you can get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, as well as being entered into our weekly draw to win some Guard Frequency goodies. We want to thank all of our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week and hope that you'll consider making a regular contribution because the more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly Wingamanga or two? Well, we're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Just check out our website and look under the Cool Signs section for details of how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek, from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Charlton Edwards, our staff writers, Jace Pentad and Ken Shadow, our producer, Jeff Grant, and of course, our audio engineer, Michael Duncan. A big shout out to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit RonaldJenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. One, two, three, three, zero. Count one, five. Stay on the guard. Are you good? I think so. All righty, I shall move us along. And elites got. Uh, let me try that without the. <laughs> Apparently, end. you're not going to move us along. Nope, I'm not going to move us along. Nope. It, 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 uh, 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 Go, Tony. Okay. Collecting loot, avoiding, collecting loot, avoiding hazards, and fighting enemies. No, no. Go, Jeff. What? Oh, it's, oh, yes. It's now time. I'm sorry. Let me try that over again. Flavian has nailed the physics upgrade in Affinity Battlescape. Try that one more time. Flavian has nailed the physics upgrade in a fitty. <laughs> in a fitty. In? With fitty scent. <laughs> so that begs the question is this a stance that everybody should take? If so, why aren't they? Okay, hang on one second. That is an improper use of the phrase begging the question, and I will not have it on my show. <laughs> I will not have okay. it, sir. Okay. I will not have it. Is, is it safe? It's safe now. Okay. Whew alienating the fringes of their fl- of their flare base uh, gentlemen your mission should you choose to accept it is to debate for us debate for us debate for us harsh anti-cheating measures <laughs> i'm sorry sean i didn't know you were attending <laughs> yeah this, it's the mission impossible theme not james bond uh, sorry yeah, yeah your mission <sighs> sorry there's too many sh- sounds in there and i'm trying to consciously <laughs> not make them at the wrong points now <laughs> and i'm just not making any
<laughs> and Tony, being a lawyer, we do know that you, you know, you prefer to browse contracts instead of regular pornography. <laughs> yeah, lawyer porn, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that indemnification clause is so amazing. Oh. Several questions, but several questions before you can answer the one about the NDA suitability. Anything, Jeff? Oh, no, you guys were doing great without me. Okay. Well, then I'll get us back started up. Here we go.